0: Some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A bishop in the United Methodist Church was getting ready to celebrate Christmas with his family. And he was hoping for only one gift under the Christmas tree that year, a chainsaw. A chainsaw. Because what bishop in the United Methodist Church wouldn't want a chainsaw for Christmas? It was the only thing he wanted. And so when he opened it, he was thrilled beyond measure. And it was only a few days later, it was either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, that he was out on his front lawn with his chainsaw, and the chainsaw slipped It got a hold of his sleeve. It threw him to the ground in a matter of seconds. It did very serious damage to his arm, so serious that his wife had to call for an ambulance to rush him to the hospital. The bishop later reflected that while riding in the back of the ambulance, while the sirens were ringing in his ears, that if he died in that moment because of blood loss, that he hoped his wife would be smart enough to tell everyone he died while chopping wood for poor, hungry orphans when in reality he was just trimming his hedges. That didn't need trimming, it was New Year's. He just wanted to play with his new toy. But he didn't die, though at a few moments he wished maybe that he had. He went through some very serious surgeries and was stuck in the hospital for quite some time while he recovered. And it was during his time in recovery in the hospital, one day laying up in the hospital bed wearing a gown, that a well-intentioned young chaplain walked into the room, not knowing at all that the man laid up was a bishop in the United Methodist Church. Now this bishop had enough pastoral presence in his life to let this man talk about Jesus to him, but he motioned for him to come in anyway. The chaplain looked at his bandaged arm and said, Sir, are you a Christian? And the bishop said... Sometimes. And the chaplain said, Well, I suppose your accident caused you to do a lot of praying in the hospital. And the bishop realized in that moment that throughout his entire ordeal, he hadn't been moved to prayer even once. He shared later that his lack of prayer was not due to thinking that God couldn't heal him. He was quick to note that there are countless hearing stories and healing stories in Scripture that Paul. Consider healing a sign of God's grace, that the book of Acts are full of stories about how Jesus is still healing through the disciples, that even James, the brother of Jesus, called for the people of church to pray for the sick, that they might be healed. Why then was he, a bishop in the United Methodist Church, so reluctant to pray in his hour of need? At first, he wondered if his lack of prayer could be attributed to the fact that God probably had better things to do, people in more need than him in his little chainsaw accident. But the more he thought about it, the more he thought about how his aversion to the regular prayer requests that he had received throughout his ministry was why he didn't want to pray in that moment himself. Basically, he was sick and tired of everybody being sick and tired in their prayers we're at the tail end of what we call the season after Epiphany. Coming from Christmas to Epiphany, the season after Epiphany, Transfiguration is next Sunday. Jesus stands on the mountain. He's transfigured before the disciples. Moses on one side, Elijah on the next. Ash Wednesday is just a few days later. The season of Lent, where we get introspective. We look inward. We think about the condition of our condition that leads all the way to the cross on Good Friday. And yet, even here, we're still dealing with the shock of the incarnation. Now, of course, most of you, if not all of you, have already put away your Christmas decorations. Though, if you drive around Raleigh Court, there are quite a few people who still have Christmas decorations hanging from their gutters. On Friday, Elijah and I, were, my son and I, were driving home from Vacation Bible School, and it was dark, and he said, Dad, why do all these people still think it's Christmas? I said, son, we all need a little hope. <laughs> Maybe that's where they're finding their hope these days. But even though we're not in Christmas, The truth of Christmas, it lingers with us through every liturgical season because Christmas is wild stuff. God bewilderingly chose to not stay above but instead got down and dirty with us. Took on flesh, moved in right next door. Jesus, fully God, fully human, chose to be a people, chose to be a family. The thing we now call church. We say we are now the body of Christ for the world. Well, how is our body faring these days? Some of us are tracking our calories constantly. For some of us, our exercising, it doesn't count unless we can post about it on social media. Some of us are struggling to fall asleep at night because we're so afraid and terrified of what tomorrow might bring. Some of us are making plans for the next degree, or the next job, or heaven forbid, the next spouse. We're obsessed with our bodies. our well-being. It dominates our prayers to such a degree that if we ever ask someone to pray for us, there's a better than good chance we're going to ask someone to pray for our body or someone else's body. It dominates everything we do, our our waking life, our sleeping life, so much so that many of us have devices on our wrists that tell us whether we're being active enough during the day. But that's not enough because it also tells you whether you're getting good enough sleep at night. By the way, I'm wearing one of those just for those of you keeping score. Our health, our well-being, or the lack thereof, it is constantly being reinforced through commercials that are designed to sell us on bodies that we will never, ever have. Beauty magazines that even if we don't buy, we see them at the end of the grocery store aisle. Friends, don't, don't read beauty magazines. They will only ever make you feel ugly. And here's the Christian message in the midst of all of this, all the worry we have. In the end, it's not up to you. Your salvation isn't up to you. You can't earn your salvation through perfect attendance on Sunday mornings at church, though you better be here every Sunday morning (laughs) in church. You can't earn your salvation by putting more money in the offering plate than the person next to you, but you should put in more money than the person sitting next to you. You can't earn your salvation from developing an 18 pack of abs. You might look good, but it doesn't get you in the pearly gates. You can't earn your salvation because salvation is a gift. And it's only given by the one who can, God. And yet the gift of our salvation, the resurrection from the dead, it means that our bodies, they matter today. It means that once we come to grips with what God did and does, our being, our bodies in the world today, we start to see them and others differently. Now, the Corinthians, those Christians to whom Paul writes this letter, he derides them for being fools because they're acting as if their bodies no longer matter. They are giving in to their desires to such a degree that they're harming themselves and they're harming other people. Read 1 Corinthians sometimes. Listen to these accusations. They're getting drunk on the wine from the Eucharist. He rips them a new one because they're sleeping with people they're not married to. They're letting their flesh and their blood dictate everything about who they are and how they understand themselves to be in the world. And Paul says, you're a bunch of fools. Listen, we're still in our bodies in this mortal life. Our bodies matter. The resurrected life comes later. Our bodies are important. I've said this countless times. Christianity is not a spiritual faith. It's an embodied one. It's why we baptize with water. It's why we share bread and we share a cup. It's why we pray for the needs of others. It's why we try to feed the hungry and clothe those who are naked and provide homes for the homeless. We're bold to to pray for people that aren't ourselves because our bodies matter. But that's a long cry from the kind of obsessiveness we have with our bodies today. None of us have the bodies that we wish we did. And if we do, we resent how much time it takes for us to make our bodies look the way we want them to. And the older we get, the more we discover that we can't trust our bodies like we once did. Like certain foods don't really sit with us the way they used to. It's harder to lose that holiday weight that's very easy to gain. No amount of lotions or creams can make our wrinkles disappear. Lasers won't make your hair grow back. And that's not even mentioning our inability to deal with our sicknesses the bodies we have they can't be and they won't be perfect Paul puts it this way the flesh is weak and that's why he admonishes the Corinthians to not give in to every little desire that they have while at the same time he says you don't need to beat yourselves up over whether you look and feel like you want to look and feel now, there are definitely moments in Jesus' ministry when he healed those in need. But those moments are really ambiguous. Jesus didn't heal every sick person in Judea. And when he did heal people, you know what he said afterwards? Don't tell anybody. Whatever Jesus' ministry was, it was about more than physical restoration. I mean, Every person that Jesus healed, they eventually died. Even Lazarus, raised from the dead only to die again in the future. Now, it's important to know that outside of Scripture, churches were the location for, and eventually they helped create some of the very first hospitals. Because as Christians, we care about the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead. But recently, our obsession with our own bodies, the way it has come to dominate every part of our life, it's, it's even influenced the way we pray. It's not how Jesus prayed. It's not how Jesus taught us to pray. Sure, bread and trespasses are in the Lord's Prayer, but illnesses, discomfort, they're not there. I have heard prayers. I myself have prayed for every medical diagnosis you can possibly imagine. But you know what I don't pray for very often? That God will help me love my enemies. No one ever comes and knocks on my door and says, Pastor Taylor, I really need your prayer. I need your prayers. I am having a really hard time forgiving somebody. Now I get phone calls when someone's in the hospital and someone's sick and I will pray and I will pray and I will pray but prayer is and must be more than just bringing our wish lists to Jesus it has to be more than Lord help me get an A on my test on Monday asking him to help us when our bodies are no longer functioning the way we want them to prayer is about being risky And letting Jesus speak to us. That bishop that I was talking about, the one who nearly cut his arm off with his Christmas gift, the one who didn't pray in the hospital, he said he was reluctant to clasp his hands together in prayer because the last thing he wanted was to risk a visit from Jesus. Because you know what happens when Jesus shows up? He usually makes things harder and not easier. The bishop said one of the joys of following Jesus, and he said joy sarcastically, is that Jesus shows up even when we don't pray. In fact, Jesus usually shows up because we don't pray. He said even there in the hospital, he experienced Jesus. Not that he wanted to, but he did. He said he experienced Jesus in learning how to be dependent on other people. Afterwards, when he was healing, he couldn't even open his pill bottle to take the pills he was supposed to. He had to rely on someone else doing that. And boy, if there's anything we hate in this life, it's having to be dependent on other people. I ask people all the time, how do you want to die? Strange question. I'm a pastor. I ask strange questions. You know what people say? I want to die in my sleep and I don't want to be a burden to anybody. The problem is, More than 90% of us die while being a burden to other people. That's not a bad thing. It can be a beautiful thing. The bishop said that he also experienced Jesus in the reminder of his own fragility. He thought that he was invincible. Even though he is one of those people who says, Every Ash Wednesday you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Being in the hospital made him realize that it's true. And he said finally that he experienced Jesus in the hospital as the only hope in the world that he really had. Because sitting there laid up, his arm wrapped up in gauze and ace bandages, he thought, if salvation is up to me, then I'm a lost cause. There was a time when health and wellness didn't just mean freedom from pain or freedom from discomfort. Health meant wholeness, maybe even holiness. And sometimes holiness is nothing more than coming to the realization that what makes the good news good is that it's up to God and not us. Which is why it's foolishness. It's foolishness according to the world. The world bangs us over the head again and again and again with every chance it gets that we need to be self-made creatures, that we have to make our own destinies, that we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's why grace is complete and utter foolishness. Grace is everything for nothing. Grace is divine laughter in the midst of frustration. Grace is the only thing we need and the only thing we don't deserve, and the only thing God gives to us. Our bodies will fail us. We have enough people in our church who work in the hospital that will tell you how true that is. I've been to the hospital to pray for people enough to tell you that our bodies will fail us. Some of us, some of us might be fortunate enough to experience some divine healing in this life, maybe. But all of us, every one of us has already received the greatest healing of all. We call it salvation. We don't have to do anything for it. Actually, we do maybe have to do one thing. We have to trust that it's true. And when we do that, we can trust God at God's word, then we're living in and we're living by grace. No matter what happens to us in the midst of that trust, no matter how many things we do, no matter how many things we leave undone, if we can trust that God, by death and resurrection, has made all things new, then we can sit back and we can relax the whole diorama of all our mediocre performances, because that's all we can really do anyway, they can't stop the love that refuses to let us go. If Jesus is so convinced about taking our sins to the cross, nailing them there, and leaving them there forever, if God is really love, then God isn't going to flunk us if our bodies aren't perfect. You see what that means? We can fail we can fail again and again and again at everything in this life and we can still live in the light of grace. Because at the very worst, all we can be is dead. And for one who is the beginning and the end, the one who is life and death and resurrection, that's no trouble at all. Jesus came not to teach the teachable or to fix the fixable or to reform the reformable. Jesus came for one thing and one thing only, To raise the dead. Thanks be to God. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen.